We are going to welcome John Frankel, partner at SF Venture Capital. John has been with us before, and uh, we welcome you back, John, to catch up on what's going on. How has the pandemic year been, and what are you doing these days? Welcome back. We can't hear you yet. Yeah, th this is a very um, important mission that you're on. Uh, I'm a great believer, uh, as I'm sure you are, that uh, entrepreneurship is something which is much more accessible to more people than you can imagine. And uh, uh, so it gives me great pleasure to be on the show and talk a little bit about our experiences um, at FF Venture Capital and, and what you know what we get up to and what we do. Um, but I do want to thank you for sort of having me here today. You know, John, um, I read somewhere earlier this week, I can't remember where I read it, but um, that Uruguay, the little nation of Uruguay, now has a fintech unicorn. I don't know if you saw this. I just found that so thrilling to see. It's... Uh, it really is, um, you know, entrepreneurship as a discipline is really spreading worldwide and people are developing expertise. I think the, the basic, basic building blocks of how to build a tech company are becoming much more widely known, understood, and uh, learnable. You know, learnability is really important. I think we have contributed greatly to this cause of making, breaking it down, breaking the pieces down so that you can easily learn how to put one foot before the other. And, and other people have done that too. And, and it, it's evident in the, you know, success that are coming out of different parts of the world. We also see a lot of small town um, entrepreneurship uh, show up on our radar through this program. We saw some, uh, someone in East Texas uh, do something really, really interesting in a small town. We see a little, um, you know, ecosystem in Assam, India. Uh, the capital of Assam is Gohati. We recently saw a company out of Assam that is doing some really nifty work. So it's uh, it's very nice to see uh, to see the spread of and the globalization of entrepreneurship. John, tell us what's up at FS. So, you know, we're in incredibly interesting times. I think I, one of our underlying views and approaches here is an innate belief that the world is flat. It's unevenly distributed, but it's flat. There are certain areas, certain centers that have advantages, and the advantages can be things such as a government looking to support entrepreneurship. It can be that there are universities turning out um, engineering students, not that engineering is the only thing necessary, but it's a key part in this uh, modern economy. Um, but you also need sales, you also need um, operations and other aspects as well. Um, there, there are, if you look at some of the largest tech companies that attract some of the best talent, they have offices all around the world. And when those talented people leave those companies, they often go to work in startups or found startups. So we yes. think the world is flat, it's unevenly distributed. The other thing to understand is where we are in time. Um, you know, I've lived through a fascinating period of time 
when, you know, f to do an international phone call had to be booked a week yeah. in advance to, you know, everybody being instantly available globally. A time when, when I was a child, my parents thought it would really help if we had Encyclopedia Britannica. And now people have, you know, the sum of human knowledge in their hands and the ability to tap into it in incredible ways. So we've had huge changes in that regard. And then if you think about COVID-19 and the impact on the world and the economy, it would have been much worse in developed economies if it had hit in 95 and it hit in 2020. And the reason being, we have all the tech infrastructure for knowledge workers to be able to work remotely. Yeah. And had the proof case that we could do it for a year without it completely collapsing the economy. Now, it's not the whole economy, it's only sections of the economy. But imagine yeah. a world where you don't have broadband video, where you don't have instantaneous communication channels like Slack and email, uh, where you don't have um, uh, all of the pieces we put in place uh, for systems for enterprises. So, you know, when we stop talking about the paperless office, we actually enter the paperless office and you yeah. were able to work remotely, pay your bills, keep your books and records. That infrastructure has shown what we can do. And that infrastructure, because you've got layer upon layer that's been built really since the mid nineties, when the internet started to go mainstream, it's now you can grow companies much faster than you could before in more remote places. And so I'm not surprised that we're seeing unicorns in far flung places. Yeah, indeed. indeed. So what has uh, been the experience at your fund based on both existing portfolio companies and their experiences as well as new investments? So we were very concerned in March and April that yeah. um, our companies would be very hard hit. And some were hit hard. But predominantly, because we invest in um, in secular rather than cyclical businesses, our companies held up incredibly well. In fact, um, uh, um, in Q2, if folks remember, the economy was cratering, GDP was collapsing around the world. Our portfolio companies grew revenues 30% year over year on average. Mm -hmm. And, and that's something that I think other VCs saw as well, um, assuming that they invest in, in the more uh, secular side of the economy. So we, we're seeing this as an accelerant for certain businesses, as a pause for others. Uh, for very few has it, has it been existential within the startup community for the type of companies we look to back and, uh, and support. Um, we invest in a company out of Dublin, Ireland called Manor. A Manor is a food delivery company by drone. And mm -hmm. their business has been brought forward by about three years or so. Similarly, um, another company that is global, it's headquartered in the US, but has a large office in, um, uh, in Eastern Europe in a number of countries there. Uh, and they, you know, their revenues grew almost threefold last year. Um, much 
ahead of expectations based on uh, the acceleration you saw in e-commerce from COVID. So I think- And e-commerce company? Sorry? They're an e-commerce company? They're, they're, they're an e-commerce related company, e-commerce enablement company. So, you know, that, that's kind of what we've seen. Our expectation is with the vaccine coming out now, um, we expect the deployment of the vaccine not to be linear, but to grow month over month. Our expectation is within the US, we'll have surplus vaccine by uh, May, June timeframe. Uh, Canada yeah. will have surplus and they said they will export. The US probably will. And I think most of the world will have access to vaccine by the end of this year. Um, and I hope that really is going to put a dent in this and that people yeah. will, will be comfortable getting back to more normal lives. Are any sectors within the tech startup ecosystem that have not done well? Well, the, so, you know, it's, it's interesting because every company today should be a tech company. And if it's not, it will be overtaken by a tech company. And so when you say the tech sector, it's really the whole business. But if, you, yeah. if you're a technology company helping out hotels or helping out travel, sure. your sure. markets have been destroyed, but the recovery will be much more biased to the solution that you provide. So as long as you get through the downturn, there should yeah. be a strong acceleration and demand for what you're producing. Um, yeah, definitely. And what, um, what are you looking for uh, as you look out to the post-COVID world? What trends are you particularly interested in investing in? Well, the trends we were interested in investing coming into the COVID world are very much ones that still resonate with us. Applied AI, drones, robotics, and fintech, which is about 60% of our portfolio. Um, however, if you, if, if you think about what we as VCs do, we invest in changes in behavior, in, yeah. in new business models or better ways of doing business models. And we think that the, this downturn we've seen will not only, like other downturns, create great companies because there was an economic downturn, but also there's been a big shift in people's behaviors. And there'll be companies that can take advantage of that. And so companies around privacy, companies around how to help uh, businesses manage a more diversely located workforce, um, yeah. companies around how people are reevaluating what their home is. It's now more than a bed and a kitchen. Um, and, and, you know, we think all of those changing dynamics, some are obvious, the secondary and tertiary ones less so, but they'll come into focus. So we think there'll be some really great companies created um, in uh, 2021 and 2022. Well, um, the AI sector of the industry, or rather, you know, AI is not even a sector really, AI is a horizontal technology that is being applied to all kinds of sectors right now, but AI investments in general has Load, absolutely. Even with with the downturn, with the pandemic, the amount of money that has gone into AI startups globally is huge. 
So that it doesn't seem to have missed any beats in this process. So, you know, AI to us is a bit like how how we would think of um, uh, how we would think of mobile ten years ago, or internet twenty years ago. There used to be internet companies. Now there's just companies. Companies used to be mobile companies. Now they're just companies. And we think yeah. AI companies will just be companies. We think it's a layer of the infrastructure that will just be built in. If you have a, a, a set of Apple headphones, you don't really think of them as AI headphones. They just do things which seem kind of smart. Uh, in the same way, we see that being embedded in companies. Um, you know, on the consumer side, a lot of those opportunities are subsumed into large tech consumer companies. It's difficult for startups to compete. In, in the enterprise, less so. And, you know, the advantage that you have today in the enterprise, just you have around the rest of the economy, is analog processes are being digitalized. And as mm -hmm. they're digitalized, you can connect them together, and then you can use AI to draw insights. And we're seeing a number of companies around that area that really intrigue us right now. Yeah. And what uh, trends are you seeing in FinTech? And how has that evolved through the pandemic? Uh, so we're, we're seeing a couple of things. Uh, on the enterprise side, and this is, this is a theme we've seen for a while, we've seen large fintech enterprises, the Goldman Sachs, the Capital Ones, the Wells Fargo's of this world, um, looking to outsource key parts of their tech stack, whereas in the, in the past they used to uh, do it internally. Uh, we have a company around digital identity to help deal with fraud protection and KYC called Secure. Mm -hmm. uh, like a lot of fintech companies, you would anticipate that in Q2 and Q3 sales slowed down as it was difficult to do in-person sales. But in reality, they have a multi-year acceleration and adoption of their business as their underlying clients realize they have to digitalize faster. And what a company like Secure can provide is something they can't build internally because of the massive data sets they have, the, the, the proprietary algorithms they've built and the like. And we're seeing that happening across the board, that startups have been able to create um, solutions that the large tech companies with their massive budgets um, cannot, um, cannot compete with. Uh, so that's on the enterprise side. On the consumer side, the consumer adoption of touchless digital cash and the like, and their willingness to say, I don't want to use my father's broker. I don't want to use my mother's um, um, a tool set that she used to work with you know, her money. And to look at these new tools is just creating a, you know, a really interesting uh, demand to use new financial tool sets. And then because of the digitalization of a lot of the um, uh, underlying piece of infrastructure and financial services existing and almost being treated like Lego blocks, new entrants can come in at low prices, put them together in, in new innovative ways 
and create products that look different and combine pieces of insurance or pieces of brokerage or pieces mm -hmm. of banking in ways that are more convenient to individuals. And so we're seeing both of those as very interesting spaces. We invested early into Clarity Money uh, that Goldman Sachs bought. Um, as I mentioned, we're in Secure and we're in a number of other uh, fintech companies. One of my favorites is Indiegogo, which is the world's largest crowdfunding platform. And yeah. it really has enabled entrepreneurship, creativity, um, uh, funding for causes um, in terms of hundreds of millions of dollars, maybe billions of dollars around the world, uh, touching you know every corner of the world. It's, it's, been, it's been a wonderful uh, enablement piece of technology. Yep. Um, one of the things you said uh, is very interesting in that, you know, um, the deal size at which you had to meet in person, I think, has vastly changed. You can do large deals without meeting in person. You can actually raise investments without meeting in person. And that's a ma massive shift, and it's a massive, um, you know, removal of friction in scalability and um, fluidity and velocity in any company's growth, growth trajectory. Oh, oh, totally, totally. It is, it is amazing that you can do that, though I do hope that in a few months, meeting in person is something that we all feel very comfortable to do. You know, as people yeah. getting vaccinated, people are more comfortable. But you're right, there's been a huge proof point that we can work remotely and get things efficiently done. I still believe there's nothing like breaking bread with an individual, meeting in person and the like. I, but yeah. I do suspect going forward, it'll be a hybrid of the two. Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, there's nothing like actually meeting in person to really establish a deep connection, which is not as easy to do online but at the same time i have to say you know we have run this program virtually for over a decade now and the connections are really deep because we work on a weekly basis with our entrepreneurs around the world and and you really get to know their businesses and and the trust that develops by just working together for such a long period of time you know on a sustained basis is is incredibly interesting no, it, it, it really is. It's been a huge enablement um, of, of business reduction and friction. And honestly, the creation of enormous wealth for the global yeah. economy. And, yeah. you know, I, I'm... I'm Very a, concentrated wealth, though. Yeah, I look, look I, you know, my job is to be a venture capitalist. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, you know, a strong believer in capitalism that it really you know, raises the tide for everybody. And I love the fact that the, this is something that can happen anywhere. Anybody can learn to code. Anybody with, you know, with a good idea can go and attack a market. They don't need to have a room filled with sun servers. I'm not sure people know how to understand what I just said, but you used to have to have a room with your own servers. You had to hire your own sysadmin you had to have your yeah. own mail server. You had to have your own P uh, PBX exchange so that you could communicate. Right. 
and it used to cost you $10 million. Now you can be sitting on your couch, almost unemployed, and being the CEO of your company. I think it's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful, yes. John, could you catch us up a bit about the vital statistics of your fund since we last spoke? What is the current fund size, or what are the different fund sizes that you're managing, and uh, so, where so, are you? So we'll, we'll, yeah. investing, et cetera? Yeah, so we like to invest at the seed stage. So for us, that's sort of a mid-single-digit valuation. And we carry yeah. on investing, and then we stop at a $50 million valuation. So mm -hmm. we're sort of from seed to B. And, um, you know, our fund sizes, our target fund sizes are around about $55 million. We're in the middle of raising our sixth fund right now. Um, and, you know, we're just very engaged as VCs. We know that companies fail, companies have issues. In fact, 90% of seed funded companies don't go on to raise a series B. In our portfolio, it's about 50%. So we're running from survivorship from seed to be about five times the average. Um, we, you know, we've, we've honed a set of things that we think are important to do. And we've discarded things that we think sound good, but don't actually move the needle for our companies. Um, and we've, you know, we've been doing this long enough. We, we've been doing this 13 years. Uh, and so we have companies of all sizes. We have about 74 active portfolio companies, um, but yeah, 26, uh, you know, at that sort of $50 million level and above, 16 are worth 100 million or more. We've had 22 exits. Um, Outlook Baby Care, that has this little sock that you put on a baby. Um, actually, I've had this here for a year, but you know, this is, this is Outlook. Um, they just filed to go public for a SPAC. And, you know, they save tens of thousands of babies' lives. Um, it's, it's just an amazing product because they monitor if there's a heart or a lung problem and monitor babies don't die. And allowing mothers and fathers at home to be able to do this, I think, is, is amazing. Um, and now they're going public, they're going to be able to sell more globally, more product, and the like. You know, when we invested seven years ago, it was a circuit board and some tape. Mm -hmm. yeah, and today it's on the cusp of becoming a, pro a public company. That's just, that's just very, you know, very fun. What check sizes are you writing in the okay. seed stage? Uh, so we, I, our check size is sort of three to 700,000 for 10% of a company. Okay. And uh, what are the nuggets you said you've, fine-tuned, uh, what, what are the secrets of your higher hit rate, let's put it this way? Um, what are some of the nuggets of what you've learned? What are the best practices? What are the things that are good? What are the things that are bad? Very difficult to answer succinctly and completely, but I'll try and give you a, a couple of bullet points. Let's talk a little bit about VC math. If you did an equal-weighted portfolio, that's large enough, a third of your companies will likely just fail. A third will probably go nowhere. And the last third will give you a return on capital. And a mm -hmm. third of the last third will give you 85% of your returns. So 10% of your portfolio is where all the returns are. And so with a VC, you get a phone call from a company that's in trouble. 
and you're busy, right? You're raising a fund, you're on wonderful shows like this, you're looking at new companies, you're talking to existing companies, you're busy, you're talking to your uh, LPs. Um, you kind of like mentally might just put that company into that's in the third that's going to zero. It's a pity. I'll move on. Mm -hmm. What we've learned and what we've done is when we get that call is to pick up the phone yeah, yeah. and say what's up and try and understand what the issue is. And to yeah. the extent that the issue is something that we can address and to the extent that it's something we can help with, we might be able to take something that would otherwise be in the loss column and move it into the profit column. That yeah. helps our LPs, but it takes years to prove that out. Um, and we think we're at the point or at the cusp of the point of being able to prove that. But that's kind of what we do. So part of it is just culturally listening and having a willingness to step up when companies have a problem. Sometimes it's cash, sometimes it's not cash. It can be other things that you can do, lend other resources um uh step in as a temporary cfo or ceo or whatever the item might be um the other thing we do is we think it's very important to help educate our ceos and embed them within the ecosystem and so we run um hundreds of events a year to do that round tables getting all our engineers in a room, all our sales guys in a room, or bringing in a service provider to talk to our companies, or getting our companies in front of later stage VCs. Uh, we do this, and we found that to be very valuable. We think it's important for CEOs and founders to make number-informed decisions. But we came to the conclusion there was really no good accounting firm out there that was doing this. They were doing the books and records and they'd hand over an extended trial balance, but they really weren't educating the CEO, um, explain to them how a contribution margin product line PL would be helpful, giving them a set of projections they could use in their business day to day, not just for fundraising. And so we ended up building the firm. We spun it out and sold it out, a company called Graphite Financial. And it's now a 40, 50 person team of accountants that any anyone can use, doesn't just have to be one of our portfolio companies. Um, mm -hmm. So those are the, some of the things we've done. We run with a, a larger team than average, which gives us bandwidth. Uh, and I guess the last thing we did, we actually built an operating system for VCs, which we also spun out and other VCs use uh, to really ensure we have, you know, best in class operational efficiency. Mm -hmm. All right. Very interesting. John, um, I know you have to drop off at, uh, in two minutes. So thank you for uh, catching us up and uh, giving us a perspective on what's happening through this pandemic. Uh, look forward to keeping in touch and uh, we'll talk again. Well, Thanks for coming. Thank you so much for having me on your show. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's wonderful and it's doing a huge public service. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.